Hey guys, uh, my name's Clement. I'm also one of the visitors here at Port Macquarie. Today we'll be reading from John chapter 14. Um, if you have one of the Pew Bibles, it should be at page 763. I'll give you guys a couple seconds to flip to that now. So John chapter 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am, in, I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord... Why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you 
of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not speak with you much longer, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me, but the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we have together, gather as your people, under your word and for your glory. We pray that what we don't know, that you would please teach us. That what we have not, that you would please give us. And what we are not, that you would please make us. For your son Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, there's a, there was a phrase that was quite popular while I was growing up, and I wonder if you know it. It's composed of just four simple words, yet most of the time when it was used in common conversation or even in merchandising, it was referred to by four simple letters. Four letters that shaped some people's entire decision-making process. W-W-J-D. What would Jesus do? In my opinion, it's a phrase with at least one key commendable quality. That is, if you follow Jesus, if you call him your Lord and your Saviour, then as you live for him, you'll want to live like him, won't you? You'll want to imitate him, to think, feel and act like him. So whatever situation you're in, however tricky, sticky or downright unpleasant it may be, you can always think to yourself, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And if you don't follow Jesus here this morning, I hope that you can see the goodness of this phrase too. The goodness of Christians not only to walk the walk, but also wanting to talk the talk. Sorry, other way around. (laughs) Wanting to talk the talk, and walk the walk. Now, you may love that phrase, you may hate that phrase, you may be indifferent to it, you may have only heard it for the first time this morning. But I wonder, regardless of whatever your stance is with that phrase, I wonder if you've had moments where you just wish that that phrase could be a little different. I wonder if you've ever wished, like me, that instead of pondering to yourself what would Jesus do, that you could instead ask Jesus himself in person, the flesh and blood Jesus, the one whose hands and feet were pierced with nails. I wonder if you've ever wished that you could ask this Jesus, Jesus, what would you do? I wonder if sometimes you wish that you were like the disciples who had unfettered access to Jesus, who could ask him whatever question that they could think of. I wonder if sometimes you wished that Jesus was physically standing next to you. 
Because life, it's hard. It has levels upon levels of complexity to it. This year at NTE, uh, I got to lead a group of students for the week as we thought through ethics and work, where we tried to answer the two questions, what does it look like to think ethically as a Christian and how you apply that thinking to the topic of work? And even as we dedicated multiple two-hour-long blocks to thinking through how to ethically navigate work as a Christian, there were still so many questions left at the end, so many questions that felt unanswered. How can I rest well at work? How can I tell my colleagues about Jesus? What should I even do for work? How can I honour God most through the work that I choose? Now, some of those questions may or may not be because of how I led the group, but I think mostly it's because it is a complex issue. It's because work is hard. And that's really just for work. We're not even accounting for the other questions around our relationships, our future, how to respond to the cultural questions of our time, like things about gender and sexual identity. You don't really need to think too hard to come across life's complexities. And through it all, you might start wishing that Jesus could just be with you in the flesh to answer all of your burning questions. But would that actually be better? Would life be better if Jesus didn't physically leave us? If he stayed on earth as a man instead of returning to his father's side? Our passage today, the one in front of us, would say no. And it helps us not only to see the goodness of Jesus leaving, but also the betterness of it. It helps us to see not just why Jesus left, but why he had to leave. And actually, why that's a real blessing for us today. Our passage uh, shows us, helps us to see the blessing of Jesus leaving. And that's our big idea for today's talk, the one sentence takeaway from today's passage, the blessing of Jesus leaving. If that's all you take away from today, then I'm happy. But we'll see this play out in three key points. They're on your outlines in front of you. And my prayer for us is that we would believe in Jesus, that we would love him and others, and that we would adore the work of the Holy Spirit. So that's where we're heading. But before we get there, we're jumping halfway into John's Gospel. So... Let's orient ourselves, let's figure out where we are, why we're there, and thank you for uh, allowing us to jump into the middle of John 14 like this. So, in the storyline of John, we're at the night that Jesus is betrayed. He's having his final meal with his 12 disciples, and he's giving them his final teaching and instruction. In chapter 13, the chapter Just before this, Jesus, their teacher, their friend, their great hope for the future, drops four bombshell bombshell truths on his disciples. One, Judas will betray him. Two, he is leaving them after three years of ministry 
and life with them. Three, where he's going, they cannot follow, at least not just yet. And four, even Peter, the disciple who had even laid down his life for Jesus, even he will deny Jesus three times before the night is out. You can see why Jesus starts his, this chapter in verse 1 with the comforting words, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And you can see why he reiterates those words similarly in verse 27. The disciples are in need of serious comfort here after being hit with these truths, especially after hearing about their separation from Jesus. And so Jesus seeks to provide them the comfort they need. Which leads us to our first point on your outlines, or rather it's, I guess, the second one. Point, point one, Jesus needed to leave. After telling them to not be troubled, he provides them with one of the comforting reasons that he must leave. Please read with me from verse 2. Verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Jesus goes to the Father's house to prepare a place for them. And this should bring them great comfort. The Father's house is great, a place devoid of crying, of pain, of suffering, a place full of joy, peace, of rest, a place where they can live in perfect relationship with their creator, their sustainer, their good God and heavenly Father for all of eternity. And their names are already or will be already written on their doors Their place is guaranteed there. It's not that Jesus might go and prepare a place for them. He will. And not only will Jesus return to bring them into the Father's house, to be with their great teacher and friend for all of eternity, but they also know the way to the Father's house. Now, I'm not sure if you've been to Sydney before or when the last time you were there was... But this year, I've moved closer to the city in order to work at UNSW. And if you've ever driven in the city, you know what an absolutely awful experience it is, or at least it can be if you don't know the way to where you're going. I mean, it could be awful even if you have Google Maps open, but that's beside the point. It's even more awful if you're flying blind. The map of the way gives great comfort. And so what a comfort it is that the disciples aren't flying blind here, that they know the way to the Father's house. Except, like so often happens in the Gospels, the disciples don't get it. And to be fair, neither would I, so I'm no better than them. But they don't know where he's going, so how can they know the way? And Jesus answers with these now famous words, if you read with me from verse 6. I have to flip the page. There we go. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
If you really knew me, you would know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. The disciples know Jesus and so they know the way to the father. At this point in the gospel, the disciples don't understand how Jesus is the way to the father. But for us today, we see with crystal clarity how he is. And it's through his death and resurrection. Although all people have sinned, although all people have turned our back on God and decide to live our own lives our own way as the master and commander of our own souls, that's including us and especially including me. Although we have sinned, it's by Jesus' death that our relationship to God can be restored. We're forgiven by him of our sin. His anger, because of our sin, is then poured on Jesus and not us. The stain of sin is now removed and in its place we receive Jesus Christ's perfect right standing with God. But he didn't stay dead. Praise God that he didn't stay dead, but was raised to life as the eternal king who gives eternal life to freely to those who turn away from their sin, who turn to God and who ask for his forgiveness. It's by his death and resurrection that Jesus has forged a way, in fact, the way for his people to enter into the Father's presence, providing them with the eternal life they need to enjoy him and the Father eternally. The disciples still don't get what Jesus is talking about here. Uh, We see in verse 7, Jesus says they know the Father through him, and yet verse 8, they still ask to see the Father, but we'll return to that point later. For now, we see the other truly comforting reason why Jesus needed to leave. Let's read from verse 16. Jesus tells them, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor, to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. And again, we'll jump forward to verses 25 and 26. He says similarly, all this I've spoken while I was still with you. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. The other truly comforting thing that we see in this passage The other truly comforting reason for Jesus leaving his disciples is that he needs to leave in order to send the Holy Spirit, this spirit of truth, this counsellor. And that means while we're waiting for Jesus to return now, and while they're waiting, they're not left on their own. And that brings us to our next point, not left on our own. From our passage, we can see the wonderful blessings of Jesus sending the Spirit. Although, uh, in verse 18, I believe it is, might be verse 17, although the world, meaning those who don't follow Jesus, although they don't receive the Spirit because they don't know him, they don't see him, the, the disciples know the Spirit. He is currently with them and will soon be in them. And we know this happens at Pentecost in Acts 2 
where the Spirit descends on them, he dwells in them, he radically transforms them. And God's church begins its, its explosion from Jerusalem out into Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth, including God's country here in Port Macquarie. And it's a great joy that the Spirit dwells in believers. How much closer could you be with God while on this earth? How could God be more present with you while on this earth? The Old Testament Jews, they needed a temple and sacrifices in order to enter into God's presence. The disciples, they had flesh and blood Jesus, who was constrained by his humanity just as we are. He needed to sleep, he needed to eat, he could only be in one place at any given time. But the Spirit, he is their ever-present help. And ours today too, who does not sleep, who dwells in all believers, who draws as close to them and us as is possible. And it's the work of the Spirit, and it's through his work that Jesus can say in verse 23, that both he and the Father will make their home in believers. He will not leave them as orphans. He will not leave them as children left alone, abandoned to deal with the world and all its complexities and hardships. He will come to them through the Spirit. And although the world may not see him anymore, those with the Spirit will still see their great Saviour, Jesus. But the Spirit is not just with us. He's not a passive passenger in our life. You know, those kinds of passengers, the ones on long road trips that are meant to control the music, that are meant to navigate you and are meant to generally keep you focused on the road and awake. Those kind of passages that only fall asleep and leave you to do all the hard work of driving and getting you to your location. I'm not going to name names. (laughs) Sure, they are along for the ride with you, but it's still all up to you to do all the hard work. The Spirit is not our passive passenger who is along for the ride of life with us, but not doing anything. He is at work while dwelling in us. We see his work played out in the two titles that Jesus gives to the Spirit in our passage. Firstly, he's the counsellor. You may have picked that up a few times in our passage, that Jesus links loving him with obedience. We're going to read a couple of verses uh, quickfire. If you can't find them, that's all right. But verse 15, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Verse 21, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. And verse 24, he who does not love me will not obey my teaching. There's a very clear link in this passage that is drawn between loving Jesus and obeying what he's taught, what he's commanded. If you don't love him, then you won't obey. Now, we must quickly say here that this does not mean that we are saved by what we do. Many passages in the Bible make it clear it is by grace you have been saved through faith. That is, we are saved by God's undeserved kindness towards us and we're saved by trusting in him to save us. Not trusting in our own works, so that no one may boast except boast 
in our great God and Saviour. But what it is saying is that our love for Jesus will transform our actions. For example, I love my mum. In many ways, she's displayed Christ's character to me and I'm very thankful for her and for how she served me. And it's all well and good to say that I love my mum, even to tell her that I love her. But if I don't act on it, if I don't give her a call and see how she's going, if I don't pop in to say hi every now and then, if I don't ever act in a way that shows that I love her, how much do I truly love her? In a much pithier way, J.I. Packer once wrote, we are justified, that is, we are made right with God, we are justified by faith alone, but the faith that justifies is never alone. If you love Jesus, you will obey his commands, not in order to win his favour or love, but rather because your love for him drives you to please and follow him. So the question then is, how do we then live out what Jesus has commanded us? Because the Old Testament Jews, they received God's word, they received his commands, and we have an old, a whole Old Testament to see what an awful job they did at keeping them. Time and again, they turned their back on God, they went their own way to such an extent that God kicked them out of their promised land and sent them into exile for 70 years after time and again of chance after chance. So how do we do it? How will we fare any better? Well, we do it through the power of the counsellor of our Holy Spirit who dwells in us. He is the one, verse 26, who will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. A good legal counsellor in this fair state will help you understand the laws of New South Wales and help you understand how they apply to you. Our counsellor, the Holy Spirit, works in us so that we may understand the, the commands of our authority, King Jesus. He does this by helping us understand the scriptures so that we may see the Father more clearly through his Son, see his goodness, his faithfulness, his love, so that we may see not only how God wants us to live in big picture terms, like love one another, but also to see how that plays out practically in our, every, in our day-to-day application, like how we practically love one another here at church on a Sunday. And he not only helps us to know things, but he shapes our attitudes to align with God's attitudes, to grow us in our love, our gentleness, our graciousness. And he shapes our actions to align with God's actions so that we may live out what we now know and what we desire. In essence, the Spirit shows us God's character and helps us to reflect God's character. And secondly, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. He cannot lie. What he says is true. And so what he reveals to us through God's word is true. 
We cannot go through our Bible ripping pages out. We cannot go through with a sharpie and redact certain lines because some of it's true and some of it's not. No, the word given us by the Spirit is true because he is true. What he says is true and we must hold it as true even as we in our sinfulness may not like it. Now, does that mean for followers of Jesus, for those with the Spirit in them, that we have our own personal, private problem solver dwelling in us, who will clearly tell us what to do in every difficult situation? Will we always have a clear answer, as if we asked flesh and blood Jesus ourselves? Well, no. I have a friend that I went to high school with who is same-sex attracted, who about two years ago got engaged to another man. I knew I would be invited to his engagement party and to his wedding, and I thought and thought and thought about whether I should attend or not. I spent hours writing out my thoughts, thinking about how the Bible shaped my response. I talked with friends, with ministers about their thoughts, and it the end of the entire process, I didn't get a definitive answer of what to do. As much as I was saying, Jesus, what would you do? And crying out for the complexity to be less complex, I didn't get a voice from heaven telling me what to do. I didn't have Jesus appear in front of me to tell me which path to take. But I did have the Spirit. I had him speaking to me through his word, growing me and shaping me through his truth and his counsel to look more like Jesus and to love him better. And that process of transformation is ultimately far better than any personal, private problem solver to figure it all out for me. Because that transformation not only leads me to loving Jesus more and more, not only desiring to live out his commandments better, but also out of love, not obligation, ultimately living out his commandments better. And for closure on that story, I had a work commitment the day of the wedding, so I couldn't make it. I think that's God's kindness to me, that I didn't have to make a decision in the end. But finally, we've seen that Jesus needed to leave in order to prepare the way to the Father, and to prepare the destination to where they were going, but also to send the Holy Spirit who dwells in all believers and shapes them to look more like Jesus. What does life now look like for us while we await his return to take us home to his Father? Well, we're at the last point on your outline, life while we wait. And we've already seen one implication for our lives today, It's love. We are to love Jesus by keeping his commands. And what does Jesus say in the previous chapter, in John 13, verse 34? uh, These words uh, you might know. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Our love for Jesus must be expressed in imitation, that as he loves us, so we love others around us. And 
I think that's a key reason or a key thing that shapes verses 13 and 14. They seem like tricky verses, talking about uh, whatever you ask in Jesus' name, he will do for you. Does that mean that if I pray for a Lamborghini that I should expect one Monday morning? Well, no, because if our desire is to love Jesus and to love others around us, then when we pray in his name so that he may be glorified, then what we're going to pray for will be shaped by that love. We won't be praying for those material things that uh, really are luxuries in life. We will pray for our daily bread that we may provide for ourselves and for others. But we will also pray that we will grow in our love, in our patience, our gentleness. We will pray that ultimately we would reflect him more and more. And those are prayers that Jesus loves answering for us. What a joy that is. But there's another key command that God calls for us to do that is throughout John's Gospel. It's actually the purpose of John's Gospel, the point that he's been working towards as he writes it. If you're able to, if you're able to do it quickly enough, we'll flick over to John 20, verse 30 and 41. If you're looking it up on your phone, it will take you too long, then don't worry about it. But John 20, verses 30 and 31. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. What should life look like while we wait? It should look like believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing we may have eternal life in his name. We need, well, we see the need to believe come up in our passage, in fact, in verses 9 through 12 particularly. After the disciples don't understand Jesus, Jesus desires that they would believe him, that he is in the Father and the Father is in him. They're united, not divided. They work together, the Son doing only the Father's will and showing them all who the Father is like. It's this deep unity of who the Father and the Son are and this unity of what they're doing that Jesus desires for the disciples to believe, even if they only believe because of the work they've seen him do. And as they believe, they will do what Jesus has been doing, proclaiming that Jesus is both Lord and Saviour and that life is found in only his name. And that's the, the joy of verse 12, isn't it? The huge blessing of Jesus leaving. We not only get to follow in Jesus' proclamation of the best news this world ever has or ever will have, but we get to do so together, empowered by the Spirit to preach in more places at once than a flesh and blood Jesus ever could, but not by our strength, but by his. So can I encourage you, wherever you stand with Jesus today, can I encourage you to believe in him, to trust that he is who he says he is, that he's the Lord of all, 
the Son of God, the Saviour who gives eternal life freely and generously to sinners like you and like me. And let this belief shape your love, your love for him and your love for others. And finally, we'll wrap up soon, the final blessing of Jesus leaving is both in the work that Jesus has done to provide the way to eternal life with the Father and also in the work of the Spirit who now dwells in believers and grows them to look more like Jesus. And this should drive us to adore God more and more. It should drive us to see the joy and the privilege it is to not only have God dwell in us, uh, to have, sorry, not God dwell with us in Jesus, but God dwell in us with the Spirit. What a joy and privilege it is to be transformed by the Spirit, to look more like our Saviour, Jesus, to have our walk match with our talk. What a joy and privilege it is to know, love and serve our God, not in our own strength, but in his. Not in order to be loved by him, but because we are loved by him. And all of this because Jesus died, rose and ascended to his father to send us his Holy Spirit. So let us trust that the Spirit Uh, that he will reveal God's word to us. Let us love the Spirit as he points us to the Son and let us walk in step with the Spirit, living his way and not ours. Let's pray that God would be doing those things for us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the joy it is to hear from your word, that we know it is true because your Spirit is truth that he only speaks to us what is true and for our good. Thank you that your son Jesus did leave so that he may send the Holy Spirit who is at work in us, not only to show us who you are and what you've done, but also to show us how we are to live and transforming us to look more like your son Jesus. And thank you that he prepares a place for us that we know on that final day We will be with you forever and ever. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would believe in your Son, that we would believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in his name. And we pray all this and much more in the name of your Son, Jesus, who loved us and gave himself for us. Amen.